0: Hello, this is Kimberly Jonas coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. Well before coronavirus arrived in the United States, the rumbling had begun. Consumerism, nationalism, and addiction to digital devices were already threatening the precious human experiences of intimacy, compassion, gratitude, oneness, and kindness. So much of our population was rushing around to get to the next big thing that we were, as a culture, disappearing from one of our greatest and most basic human needs. Connection. Not connection of the in-passing kind, a thump on the shoulder or an unedited monologue before going back to texting or checking for what comes next on the schedule, but the connection that feeds the heart and soul the kind that is built on true, uninterrupted presence, bonds that are formed when we step away from the outside din and come to the here and now. It can be five minutes or five hours, as long as our presence is not diluted by errant, untamed thoughts of past or future or what we could otherwise be doing in this moment. Enter COVID-19. In no uncertain terms, this virus, this teacher, has arrived to set the scales back to balance. To wake us up to the fact that we are drowning in superficiality, answering to the wrong masters. Forgetting all too often that we are interconnected, that pursuits for one person's success will ultimately and always fail. And that a large part of our collective illness stems from a systematic rejection Of intimacy, a cultural sickness of separateness. And this applies to intimacy of all kinds with your friends and spouses, your parents and teachers, family, as well as strangers. I can have an intimate moment with someone I've never met simply through a commitment to presence and vulnerability. I have a story about intimacy that illustrates this well. One day last winter, I was working from home on a day after we had had heavy snow. I was looking out the window and saw that the man who plows our cul-de-sac was out in his truck pushing snow. I'd been meaning to thank him for a long time, knowing that his work is usually thankless and pretty tireless in Colorado. So I tossed on my boots and a coat and I went out to find him. He was at the top of the cul-de-sac by this point, idling in his truck. I had the sense that he might be texting or on the phone, so I gently came around to the driver's side of the car, post holing my way through the snow, while calling out hello. In that moment, he rolled down his window, and it was crystal clear that he had been crying. These are the moments when the possibility for intimacy hangs in the balance. Will he cover it up and be all business as usual? Will I be complicit and say just a quick thanks before retreating? That's not what happened. I stopped my approach, apologized for interrupting, and asked if he was okay. The dam broke, and his tears came. He kept apologizing, but he couldn't stop, and I stepped forward. I told him that there was no apology needed and then he shared some very tender, deeply personal material. I got a lump in my throat, much like I have now, and I reached for his hand. He took it. The apologies stopped. He looked me directly in the eye and I did the same. His emotion moved through and a few minutes later, we thanked each other knew that this was no ordinary moment, that we had both chosen to lean in to reveal our hearts and hold each other as intimates, even though we had never met and might not ever see each other again. This is what I'm talking about when I say intimacy. It's not about how long you've known someone or whether the intimacy will be momentary or life-lasting. It's about presence and mutual showing upness to the realness of a moment. Sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's hilarious. I've had so many intimate moments in my life where I was in stitches because the point of intimate contact was something ridiculously funny. My point being, intimacy is available at all times. It's what draws us up to our highest self, our most authentic self. Does this mean that I have to be intimate in every moment? Not at all. Because sustained intimacy is a bit of a deal. It can be both uplifting and exhausting. And it doesn't have to be the only thing that you strive for. However, if you do strive to cultivate intimacy as much as you possibly can, as often as you can, you won't be disappointed. The more we reach for connection, develop intimacy, the more resilient we then become when we are rejected or not accepted. We learn where our resources are, who the people are that will come to our rescue, no matter what, rock us to sleep when the tears of suffering threaten to swallow us whole. This virus is taking us to our knees in this regard. It is unapologetically projecting our hubris on the big screen illustrating how singular focus on money getting ahead of our neighbor being the loudest and most righteous will be our downfall none of those things comfort us when we are at rock bottom grieving our losses lost in confusion or lying on our deathbed and none of those things take care of the health of our planet our home no more soft nudges No more subtle insinuations. We must buckle down to the work of turning this ship around now. And intimacy is going to be a big part of the reset. As we delve into this notion of intimacy more deeply, we have to welcome two of its mighty companions that I've already mentioned. Presence and vulnerability. Intimacy is built on their shoulders. Let's start with presence. Intimacy requires the oxygen of presence to thrive. It withers when we are distracted looking for anywhere but here to place our attention. Presence is required for us to both listen and feel to the depths of true intimacy. We have to be willing to turn all of our senses toward another person or a group of people in order to experience the nuance and detail that inform authentic responses and feed the bonds of closeness. This doesn't mean that you won't fall off the wagon from time to time, that you'll get annoyed or distracted or bored and leave the stage of presence. It's up to you to watch for the symptoms of non-presence, to know when you've checked out or walled yourself off from intimacy because your presence can absolutely be affected by the challenges that come with intimacy. Yes, intimacy can be wonderfully fulfilling and blissful. It can also be confronting and edgy. Intimacy is not comprised of just one or the other. We have to be willing to stay present to both the grit and the gifts of intimacy and know when we have sidelined our attention because we got a little or maybe a lot uncomfortable. And then here's the thing, once we engage in true presence, vulnerability naturally follows. So it makes sense that we might want to dodge presence because that means we'll immediately tap our vulnerability. So let's talk about the vulnerability component of intimacy. Vulnerability needs to be championed as the savior of us all not as mushy-gushy behavior that is a mark of weakness or failure. In fact, I would go so far as to say that vulnerability is the backbone of a healthy, thriving population. Our vulnerability becomes the foundation for all acts of goodness and generosity, our caring for each other, for the planet, and for generations yet to come. We must be willing to embrace a picture of life that is greater than us, more than just one person or a handful of people. To surrender the veneer of stoicism, static control, and smug comparison in favor of the undoneness that leads to our uprightness. Only when we are in contact with the pulse of our true emotions, including the parts of us that are fragile and uncertain, will we be able to fully access our strength and inhabit intimacy. For vulnerability is not a one note song. It's a symphony of emotion of ups and downs, breakdowns and breakthroughs. And intimacy thrives on vulnerability, on our willingness to suffer a broken heart so that we can more fully appreciate the preciousness of authentic human connection. There's no doubt that your vulnerability will make you want to run and hide from time to time. As I said, vulnerability and presence are inextricably linked. If I'm not present, it's unlikely that my vulnerability will emerge. And likewise, if I don't allow my vulnerability to rise, then I'm not being truly 100% present. Once we've said yes to both presence and vulnerability, allowing them to usher us closer to intimacy, we will start to discover our defenses, all of the mechanisms that we've engaged since childhood to make sure that we don't get abandoned or rejected, the very things that are the antithesis of intimacy. And this is where we must go next, into an examination of our defenses so that we are able to fully mine the riches of true intimacy. Please listen to part two of this podcast to delve more deeply into this piece of the conversation. In the meantime, I encourage you to take a look at the roles of intimacy, presence, and vulnerability in your life. Develop a curiosity about how you cultivate these behaviors and how you keep them at arm's length. This is what will eventually crack the door wider to more intimacy in your life.